Friday morning, mid-morning in the Valley here in Phoenix. And do we got a good show to talk about? We're going to break down UFC Fight Night Vegas 83 on how uh, I went with my picks. And then a massive UFC 296 card uh, in Vegas that I am excited to watch manana. I have some friends coming in this afternoon. We're catching uh, Suns Knicks tonight. See my Villanova boys do work, Jalen Brunson. Archie Diacono, DiVincenzo, you know the deal. Then I got UFC, uh, Grizz playoffs, go Grizz. Semifinals against North Dakota State in Missoula. Wish I could go. Then my first Cardinals game, Cardinals, Niners, CMC, and squad at the uh, State Farm Stadium. So uh, really exciting show to talk about. Exciting sports weekend. If you're fans of other things, MMA uh, like myself, or just MMA, there's plenty of action we got episode 28 today. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. Let's jump right in. So some fights that have been booked, a change, of course, for one of the, the main card events. Uh, tomorrow, we have Tim Elliott taking on Sumaderi. Uh, we'll break that fight down. We have Molly McCann back in the UFC. She is booked against Diana Belbita for February 3rd. We have Alex Perez, Muhammad Mukayev, March 2nd. Muhammad moving up the ranking is going to be uh, fun to see the young stud back in the octagon. We have another short notice, short notice fill-in. Bryce Mitchell subbing in for Giga Chikadze against Josh Emmett for the, the main pay-per-view. So we will break that down later. Huge fight booked for the women's side of things. Going down UFC 299, Caitlin Chukagian and Macy Barber. That'll be in Miami, Florida. That's Miami, if you didn't know. I can't wait getting a group of guys to go watch the Sugar Show defend the belt, defend the strap. So really excited to see good fights added to that card. I'm sure we'll be getting a lot more bookings of 299 plus UFC 300 sooner than later. And that's where all the drama and excitement is for fight fans, MMA media. We have Dan Ige and Lerone Murphy, uh, February 10th. Huge step up for Lerone. Uh, Dan trying to, uh, you know, keep things moving. That should be a very interesting fight. We have Daniel Marcos and Arilla Gang uh, December 10th as well, or February 10th as well. We have Nate Maness and Azat Maksum February 3rd. Odie Osborne and Hafel Filio March 16th. Uh, Renato Moicano finally getting that fight against Drew Dober February 3rd. That's a scrap if I've ever seen one. And then we have Marab Dwalashwili finally official with Henry Cejudo February 17th at UFC 298. It has also been announced that the Ultimate Fighter Season 32 is going to be featherweights and middleweights. So it'll be exciting to see that shake out with the Ultimate Fighter. We also have... Um, had Fight Pass Invitational 5 for um, last weekend. We had Hannah Goldie defeating Amanda Maza by armbar. 
Uh, Hannah Goldie been in the UFC for a while, so she wins via armbar. I did not catch a lot of these scraps, but um, I always like to talk about grappling. I'm practicing jiu-jitsu, trying to level up my knowledge there. Um, we had Victor Hug against uh, defeating Dan Montessori by Americana. Tough loss for Big Dan. We had <clears throat> Nicky Rodriguez continue his winning ways against Yuri Samoez by points in overtime. And then Nick Marigali defeated Felipe Pena by a one-handed rear naked choke. Huge win for Nick Marigali. This is really the guy that... Um, um, why am I blanking on his name? Gordon... Um, Gordon Ryan is really hyping up Nick as one of the better guys out there. Gi, no Gi, he's been strapping it. That's a huge win against a very good Felipe Pena who has uh, grappled with um, Gordon recently. So some fun stuff, Ultimate Fighter, featherweights, middleweights, some fights booked, 299's kind of getting there, 300's getting there, and uh, some good grappling events as we have some layoff coming into the new year and, and the holidays. But for UFC Fight Night Vegas 83, this felt so sweet. Uh, the fact that I didn't bet very much on this uh, probably was a missed opportunity. But I went 7-1 in picks, which was much needed after the brutal pay-per-view earlier this month. Uh, so we are 135-82-3 with bows and TKOs. Not, not a bad little, little setup there. So some good fights that we did not break down. We had Steve Garcia with a second-round TKO over Mel Quazil Costa. Beautiful finish by him. Basically took it to him. We had Hunsung Park with a second round TKO over Shannon Ross. That was a performance of the night award as well. Uh, two quick second round finishes for those gentlemen. But we're going to kick it off in the prelims with the young stud Tatsuru Tyra. If you don't know about this guy, check him out. Uh, he is going to be a potential champion in the flyweight division. Still very young. He got a second-round TKO over Carlos Hernandez. And as typical with flyweight fights, this was a very high-paced high affair. There was a ton of grappling here, some great transitions, 50-50 positions, uh, some beautiful sweeps. It's just a thing of beauty to watch flyweights at the speed they go in grappling. And to be honest, what we've seen from Tatsuro in a year and a half since he's been in the UFC is purely fantastic all-around performances. He, you know, he's not even 24 years old yet. He has championship potential written all over him. And seeing how he's been mixing in his grappling and dominating in the grappling department against really good wrestlers and BJJ practitioners, it's definitely proving that he's going to be a, a massive problem. I think he's ready for the top 15. And the way he's been able to mix in his striking and improve his striking fight over fight in only a year and a half, I mean, technically, he has six years till his prime window. This kid's going to be a problem. Um, breaking it down statistically, Tatsuro landed 44 total strikes, 33 of which were significant. He had a knockdown as well. And Carlos only got two total insignificant strikes. He was 0 for 2 in his takedown attempts. And to be honest, looking at those stats, it was even more of a dominant performance than I felt it was in the moment. I didn't even realize Carlos had two strikes, 0 for 2 in takedowns. I mean... Tatsuro was mixing it up and, and, and really handling uh, these positions against a guy who, who is a very talented black belt in BJJ. So Tatsuro obviously stays undefeated. He extends his winning streak to 15, five of them in the UFC. Carlos ends his winning streak and starts a new losing streak. He moves to three and two in the UFC. So what's next for these young, kid, young men? 
I really do think Tatsuro should be fighting in the top 15 at this point, but I don't think there really is a fight that quite makes sense for him there, that, there yet. So how about somebody like Alessandro Costa? I think that would be a great step up, great opportunity for both of them. And for Carlos, how about Jesus Aguilar? Moving on, another prelim affair. We had Luana Santos with the unanimous decision over Stephanie Ager. This was the one fight that I got wrong. And this was a solid showing from Santos. She wore on Ager throughout the fight. She was surprisingly able to do enough in round three after a late round two push from Egger because she clearly won round one. I thought um, she did enough in round two and stole round three, but she won most of the, the rounds on all the judges' scorecards. And Luana really just threw a ton of massive power shots, uh, straight up 100% full power. A bunch of those were missed. She was, she was hit in air quite a few times. And, um, you know, there was an opportunity for her to be gassed out. But her aggressiveness paid off. Uh, she needed to get the clinch in, settle down a little bit, um, or get a controlled takedown and control the rest of the round to get the victory, and that's exactly what she did. You know, Stephanie had her moments with uh, some fury attacks. She knew she was behind. She'd come and get combos. And when she did, she landed well. You, you would think that she would have tried to do that a little bit earlier on in the fight until the later half of round two. Um, but it was a little too little, uh, too little too late. Luana easily took round one, controlled more of the fight when it came to rounds two and three, and then the clinch game and judo experience that both women had <coughs> made it for an interesting grappling exchanges um, with the clinch and judo, and even the uh, crew that was doing the play-by-play -play mentioned it, like who's going to get the judo throws, and Luana was able to do more there, which is, is surprising. Very impressive performance by Luana. Also... You know, you can't forget that Luana missed weight by a couple pounds, which is not good, uh, but doesn't really take away from her performance. She had a good performance, and this is a huge win against a very solid Stephanie Ager. So uh, Luana landed 97 total strikes, 53 of them significant. She had two takedowns and four attempts and almost eight minutes of control time. So if she wanted to take down, she was getting it, and she was able to uh, keep top control, not get swept, not take damage from top. And Stephanie landed 112 total strikes, so um, about 20 more total strikes and 44 of those significant, so a lot less significant than Luana. And then she had one takedown in her only attempt late in the fight. But a lot of those shots were her on her bottom while she's getting top control, little touchy-feely shots, where Luana, when she hit, you know, it was scoring damage on the scorecards, no doubt, and she was letting her rip. So now Luana extends her winning streak to four. She's 2-0 in the UFC. And Stephanie extends her losing streak to two. She's only 2-3 two since 2022. So looking to get back on track entering 2024. Needs to stack up some wins. So for these women, I would like to see Haley Cohen take on Luana Santos. I think that's a fun matchup. Two newer faces in the UFC that show, have shown a, a ton of potential. And for Stephanie... How about a scrap with Lena Landsberg if she isn't on the retirement mentality? You know, she's older. She's been in a lot of scraps, but I think that would be a fantastic matchup if possible. But we're going to jump into the main card. We had Andre Muniz with a split decision victory over Junyong Park. And I went back and forth on this pick. I stuck with Muniz. I'm happy I did. But this fight was so damn close, man. I mean, I do think Park... Uh, one round one, 
But Mooney's won rounds two and three. I know in MMA Twitter or X, um, there was a lot of controversy there. But for me, I did think Andre won, not just because I picked him. I've even watched it back. Uh, but Muniz was able to outgrapple, get his sweeps, get his reverses, and get his takedowns and um, against Park when he needed to. And I think that really was the difference in this fight. He's just... Andre showed that he, how high level of a black belt in BJJ he is. And, you know, he's a big guy for the weight class. I would assume he cuts a lot more than Park does. You could just tell by their frame and size. And when it came to striking, it was very even. Uh, Park was able to get more volume off than Andre, but Andre was able to say, hey, I'm going to outgrapple you. That's my path to victory, and that's exactly what happened. Statistically, Park landed 52 total strikes, 27 of them significant with two reversals. And Andre landed 35 total strikes, 14 significant, so a little bit less in volume, about 20 less total, 13 less significant. But he had 11 takedowns and 14 attempts. He had a reversal of his own and over nine and a half minutes of control time. So again, when he wanted the takedowns, he was getting them. Park did good at you know getting up against the cage, getting back up, but he would take him down again, and he was able to control him for almost two rounds. So of course, that's a victory in my book. Um, Andre ends his two-fight losing streak. He does start a new winning streak. He is two and two since 2022. And Park ends his four-fight winning streak, and he starts a new losing streak. So where do these two studs go next? I would love to see Andre take on Michelle Pereira. I mean, come on. That would be a fantastic matchup. And for the Iron Turtle, how about a showdown with Bruno Silva? Either way, excited to see these guys back in the octagon. Then we have the short notice fill-in. Tim Elliott, short notice doesn't matter, ends with a round one submission via my favorite submission, the arm triangle. Over Sumaderi, performance of the night, 50 Gs. And what was on display is that Sumaderi definitely needs to work on his grappling defense or he's going to continue to get dominated in the UFC and finish like what we saw Tim do in a amazingly, uh, perform an amazingly clean performance. I'm sure Tim planned this fight exactly this way and that's how it shook out. And um, a big reason I was picking... Alan Nascimento, before Tim Elliott filled in, was of the takedown and grappling advantage. And, uh, you know, Tim got the takedown, got the submission way too easily. If you want to fight in the UFC, you have to be well-rounded, even at flyweight. So back to the drawing board for Sumaderi and his team. Now, statistically, Tim landed 26 total strikes, 10 of which were significant. He had one takedown and three attempts, a submission attempt, and Sumaderi only landed 10 total and significant strikes. So Tim on short notice now starts a new winning streak. He is 3-1 and one since 2021. So hasn't been super active with only four fights in three, uh, three years. But he does stay at 10 in the rankings. And Sumaderi extends his losing streak to two. He's only 2-2 two and two since 2020. So hasn't been super active as well. He moves down two spots in the top 15 to number 13. So... I love that Tim took this on short notice. He's been on a roll. I do believe he deserves to fight up in the rankings versus back and defending the young bloods. So give me a scrap with Matt Schnell. I think that makes a ton of sense. And for Sumaderi, he could take on David Dvorak. I think that would be a win-win for both of those dudes. So moving on, another quick win. 
We had Nasra Haparis with a round one TKO over Jamie Malarkey. Performance of the night, 50 Gs for Nasrat. And this fight didn't last long as the first minute was just a few kind of measured traded strikes, feeling each other out to get through the fight. And then Nasrat landed a big looping hook shot, cracked Jamie, sat him down, and Nasrat was all over him for the finish. You know, he basically went for broke, says, uh, you know, I want to get this finish, get out of here clean. And that's exactly what he did. It only took Nasra 18 total and 16 significant strikes. He did have two knockdowns. And for Jamie, he landed eight total and significant strikes. So Nasra now extends his winning streak to three. He is three and one since 2022. And Jamie starts another losing streak and moves to three and three since 2022. So Nasrat obviously is going to have options with this. But I would like him to, to fight Drakkar Close, who just got a win over Tiago Moises. I think that would be the fight to make, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll stay tuned. And then in the co-main event, we had the light heavyweights. And what a performance. Khalil Roundtree Jr. with a round three TKO over Anthony Lionheart Smith. Performance of the night for Khalil. Much deserved. 50 Gs. Thank you. Come again. So, again, we have to preface the, this fight that the fact is Anthony took this fight on short notice. We've seen a few of these the past few uh, events, which, you know, thank God we got to keep the fights. A guy like Khalil can, t can still fight. He's put all that training camp work in, nutrition, diets, you know, paid his team. I'm glad that we're getting these short notice fill-ins, but it doesn't really do the, the short notice opponents uh, a lot of benefit besides a chance to kind of gamble and, and, and hit hit a lottery. Not that bad at odds, but... You know, take a gamble, get a quality win, but you're not getting the right preparation. You're not getting your, your body right. You're not having the right pre preparation. You're just kind of rushing into it like a crash diet. And although Anthony looked pretty pretty much like himself in the octagon, he was flowing. He was controlling the center against a very big, stocky, powerful dude in Khalil. He was keeping that distance. And um, Khalil was definitely getting the fight brought to him. He had his back up against the cage for most of the fight and was fighting off the cage. But the problem for Anthony is Roundtree is just too durable for him. Um, you know, when he does throw, when he was firing off counter strikes, he was hitting them like bullseye targets uh, at a higher clip. Anthony would kind of brush off on Khalil. Khalil was landing sharp, crisp uh, shots. And the kicks that Khalil were throwing are just so impactful. I mean... Uh, you knew that's on Smith's mind, so he's trying to move around that, although you have that adrenaline rush and and you, you don't really feel the damage as much. It was just too much for him to overcome. And Khalil had more power behind his shots. Uh, by round three, it was too much for Smith to overcome. So how about Khalil after all of this? Sorry, I'm I keep getting so many goddamn spam calls. I have to mute my shit. Then the computer goes. It's a whole deal. But how crazy was it with the damaging shots that Khalil was holding up? Round three, sits Smith down, and then just stands up like this, like, ref, do you want me to unload this fucking hammer of a fist right down on Anthony, or do you want me to wait? Like, that could be sweet merch. Just Khalil standing up at the octagon. I think he even had his hand on his hip, like, yo, this is about to come at you. I mean, really cool, iconic moment for a fight night card. Glad the ref stopped the fight. Glad uh, Anthony didn't have to take more damage. 
again, on short notice. So, um, I mean, what a gentleman move by Khalil. What an amazing, vicious performance by him. I do think, although Smith isn't very old, which again, previewing this fight last week, it's crazy that he's only 35. Well, let me fact check that. Maybe 37. Like he's not late 30s yet. He is 35. His birthday is July 26. So, a, you know, mid-level 35-year-old. Um, you would say, well, he's in the, still in his prime. He has plenty of fighting left. But he also has a ton of fights under him. Let's see. He is... 57 pro fights, 19 losses, 37 wins. Although he's not that old, I think he is closer to being a full-time podcaster and analyst for ESPN in the UFC, which he has been doing. Then he is moving back into the light heavyweight top five and making another run at the title. I really just think that's the truth. And I think he's probably a little aware of that. Some of these young guys that are coming in and these guys that are reinventing themselves they're just up on Anthony, and Anthony has a smooth style. He's a great fighter. He's still a quality fighter, but I'm interested to see, does he want to fight the bottom of the top 15 to like 2025 20, for the next five years, or would he rather save himself uh, and, and get paid to be an analyst and podcaster? But I'm sure that has a lot to do with how much money he's making and all those things, but yeah, it, it's just, uh, you hate to see it. Um, statistically, Khalil landed 56 total strikes, 53 of them significant. I mean, when he was throwing, he was landing with, with, with uh, authority. Plus, he had the knockdown. Anthony landed 52 total, 47 of those significant, and he was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. So he landed about the same volume as Khalil. But again, although he was bringing the fight and putting Khalil on his back against the cage, Khalil was landing the more damaging strikes. And uh, you could see it uh, who was wearing it through three rounds. Still can't get over just, that was so sick. Iconic, iconic. Um, Khalil ends his winning streak, uh, extends his winning streak to five. Deservedly so, he moves up three spots to number eight in the top 10. How about it? And Anthony starts another losing streak. He has not beat anyone besides Ryan Spann since early 2021. He fought him twice and he moves down two spots in the rankings to number 10. So, Give me Roundtree Jr. and Nikita Krylov. Why? Because a lot of the division's booked up and Nikita's available. He's higher up in the rankings. I do think there's better fights to make there, but I think let's keep Roundtree going. And for Anthony, how about Kennedy and Shekwaku? And that just kind of explains the idea. It's like, do you want to be a full-time podcaster and analyst or fight guys like this outside the top 15? You know, pick your poison. Anyways... The main event, this fight basically went exactly how I thought it would. Song Yadong with the unanimous decision over Chris Gutierrez. I guess I thought Song might get a finish coming into the fight. He didn't, but I'm not surprised how this shook out. Song was pretty much controlling the entire fight. And it's pretty simple. You know, I am not an MMA coach. I'm not a black belt in BJJ. I'm working on my blue belt. You know, I just started with the gi. I, I wrestled in high school. I'm a huge fight fan. I study the stuff. I have fight pass. I watch a lot of fights. 
if I'm going to beat Chris Gutierrez, I'm closing distance, especially with a guy like Song who has good boxing, and I'm avoiding being at distance of taking those kicks from Chris, and that's exactly what Song did. He mixed in great boxing with solid grappling. He was mixing in takedowns. He basically just cruised to a, a decision with top control, takedowns, and some bigger shots being landed over the course of five rounds. And Chris, you know, when he could get kicks off, they were powerful kicks.